Well, good evening. How's it going? You guys doing good? Come on. Need a little bit more. Yeah. Okay. So, um, you know, Jess just said that, you know, part of Maison, it's, it's not just about the sermon. And I think I wanted to acknowledge in this series, we've been trying to get some different voices up here. Like one of the things also about church for me is that it's always the one guy, right? Like, like every time you go to church, it's the one guy's ideas, the one guy's thing. And it's always focused on kind of the guy. And, and one of the things we were hoping to do here at Maison is we really want to kind of showcase a diverse set of voices. And so uh, in this series, we've had uh, Miranda has shared with us. We had Drake Cromer Moore uh, at the last live, and he shared with us. Um, our friend Joe Smith at, at Shift Church shared with us. And there's going to be even more voices that are going to be sharing with us next year. And I'm really excited about that just because, like I said, I, I think it's just really, you don't just want one person's perspective at church, right? It's really great to get a diverse um, just sampling of different ideas and different things. And it also helps us reflect who we are as a community because it's not just, it's not just about one thing, right? It's not just about one set of ideas. Um, and I really love that. And so I just wanted to acknowledge that and I've been really excited about that. So hopefully you've been enjoying that. We're gonna continue in our series of Virtue Signals tonight. We have talked about virtues like gratitude, integrity, and honor. Um, last month, I talked about how virtues are what we display on the outside based on what we have on the inside. And I really believe that when we truly let God inside of our lives, everything changes. Virtues are those changes on display, uh, the visible evidence of the change within. And today I want to talk about kind of the elephant in the room. You know, when we talk about virtues, when we talk about the changes in our life on display, we need to address the things that obstruct our movement towards these positive changes. We need to talk about sin. <laughs> now, I know that sin is not a sexy topic uh, for a church, especially like ours. You know, we're an inclusive church. We're, uh, we're a little bit uh, progressive. And so sometimes it can feel like uh, we avoid talking about it. One of the biggest criticisms that I think progressive Christians get from the greater body of the Christian movement is that it would seem that we don't care about sin. But let me assure you, sin is indeed real, um, and its effects can be felt and seen around us every day. Um, I want to take a few minutes and talk about sin, what it is, and how we view it, and how we can break free from it and live into the beautiful heart of God and live out the virtues that flow out of a life that encounters God and his goodness and his love. And so um, growing up, uh, I grew up in a very fundamentalist uh, Christian evangelical tradition. Um, I don't know, some of you may relate to this, uh, but I was told uh, probably around middle school age uh, that sin was separation from God. In fact, um, the my, most of the nightmares of my childhood were all driven by this crazy idea that um, when I sin, I'm placing a barrier between me and God. And until I ask for forgiveness, that barrier keeps me away from him. And so that means that every time I did something wrong, which now think about this, I'm in middle school, I'm a hyperactive uh, middle school aged boy, and uh, I don't think I could get through an hour, <laughs> let alone a day without sinning. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I think, I was asking God to forgive me all the time. I, you know, everyone jokes about how many times we got saved, right? Like how many times did I get saved? Like, all, like every day, right? Um, 
And so, uh, and many of us went to those high pressure youth group retreats where they asked us uh, if we died suddenly and tragically, would we be separated from God forever? And I was just terrified uh, that my failure to ask God's forgiveness was going to mean that I wouldn't go to heaven, that I wouldn't be good enough for God. I wouldn't make the cut. Um, and I know I'm not alone in that. Um, does that did anybody else like kind of grow up with that or, or have that experience? Or am I the only one? A couple people? Yeah. And so thankfully... I have discovered that uh, the true God is not that petty, thankfully, right? The good news of Jesus wouldn't be very good news uh, if, it were, if that were the case. God's grace, mercy, and love for us is so great. It's greater than we could ever imagine. Um, so our friend Tim Mackey at the Bible Project, he, he recently made another awesome video, and I love it. It explains sin, and, and I just think it's fantastic. I'll try to link it in the comments uh, for those of you who are watching online, and for those of you who are in the room, it'll be on our YouTube channel this week, but definitely check out this video. But in this video, uh, Tim talks about the Old Testament Hebrew word for sin, which I am not going to say correctly. It is kata. Okay. He also connects this to a New Testament Greek word, which is hamartia. These words ultimately both mean to fail or miss the mark, to not achieve the goal. Now notice, it does not mean separation from God. In fact, Paul in the New Testament book of Romans, he tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of God. So sin is not separation from God. In fact, I love what Tim Mackey says in this video. He says that for the early authors and readers of the Hebrew texts, they viewed missing the mark or this target as the Ten Commandments, the law. The Ten Commandments are essentially God's virtues. Most of you know about these, these two tablets. They contained all these early... Um, they contain what the early God followers believed were God's rules or laws. But check this out, and this is what's really important. The first half of these rules are all about how to basically love God. The back half of those rules are all about how to love others. And so I think this is really important to, to understand because if we fast forward to Jesus, and he's asked, what are the greatest commandments? What are his, what's his, his reply? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love others. And so these two things are central to understanding sin. Sin is missing the mark, the target, but the target is loving God and loving others. So this is like the barometer. This is, this is like, like, if you want to know what kata or missing the mark is, in a very simple sense, at its basic root level, it's not loving God or loving others. And so um, we're going to look at a couple passages. I'm, I'm going to be skipping around in the first couple of chapters of Genesis, but we'll go back to the very, very beginning, right? So Genesis chapter one, I'm going to be reading it, uh, this passage in the message. Um, so... So in Genesis 1, you know, God is, uh, he's either, <laughs> either literally or allegorically, because we don't know, we weren't there, right? <laughs> it's, a, it's a writing, you know. Uh, the Hebrews are trying to make sense of what they believe about the world and God and each other. And so they're writing these texts. So it, it could be poetic, it could be allegorical. Some people believe it's literal. I don't necessarily believe that it's literal, but there's a lot of different interpretations. 
It's okay. That part isn't as important as what it says and what we do with it. And so right now we're looking at Genesis chapter one. God is making the heavens and the earth, all the animals. And we pick up at verse 27 in the message. And it says this, God spoke, let us make human beings in our image. Make them reflecting our nature so that they can be responsible for the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, the cattle, and yes, earth itself, and every animal that moves on the face of the earth. God created human beings. He created them godlike, reflecting God's nature. He created them male and female. God blessed them. That's the really important part of this passage. So in the, in the very beginning of the story, it starts with God's blessing. You, each of you, are made in the image of God. In Latin, it's called the imago Dei, right? Image bearers of God were created beautiful, beloved, and right, like God. Better yet, we were created to reflect the nature of of God. This is really important to understanding why loving others is so central to loving God because they're inseparable, right? If we were made in the image of God, we have to love each other because we're all like God. We're all image bearers of God. Later on in verse 31, God looks at everything he made, including humanity, and he says that it is good. It's good. You're good. It's a good thing. As we move forward into chapter two, we're introduced to two characters, Adam and Eve. You may have read about them before. Um, once again, maybe literal, maybe symbolic. Doesn't really matter for what we're talking about. But what I want to focus on, um, I want to focus on what God introduces to humanity in chapter two, okay? There's two trees. There's this tree of life and there's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God introduces humanity with the ability to choose. Um, I don't want to get into a deep philosophical talk about humanity and choices, but I just want to point out that from the onset of creation, humanity has been given a gift of choice. This is why I believe this is necessary because I believe that God gives us the choice to love in the garden, God gives us the choice to eat from the tree of life or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can either feast on the gift of life itself, or you can choose to decide for yourself what is good and what is bad. Trust God's way or make our own way. I remember when I was young and hearing this story in Sunday school and asking my teacher, I mean, why would, why would knowing what's good and bad be a bad thing? Like, that sounds like a pretty good idea, right? Um, <clears throat> my teachers never had a good answer. Um, they usually just tell me to shut up and stay quiet and leave them alone. So uh, that's what I get for being a boat rocker. Anyways, uh, it wasn't until decades later that I, I, I had this pretty profound thought. Um, and, and this is a little bit deep, but, but hopefully you can track with me. I thought about this. What if, what if in God's sort of intended design, of humanity, we were never intended to decide good and bad on our own. What if we weren't meant to handle the weight of judgment? What if God's perfect reality for us is to trust him and to live in perfect peace with him? Not the broken reality where we have to constantly be evaluating whether or not the things or the people around us are, are, are doing good things or bad things. You know, when we wake up, 
to the new reality that Jesus shows us in the gospel, we see things the way we were always supposed to. I've said this before, but we get the new glasses, right? We see differently. Um, we see the kingdom of heaven where we love God and we love each other again, just like God intended, reflecting God's nature, like it says back in Genesis 1, right? And there's one last bit in Genesis that I want to touch on that will bring us back to virtues. And, and as we know, in this story, Adam and Eve were tempted to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and they did. The serpent comes, and he tells them, if they eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they will become like God. It's kind of weird, because they were already created like God, right? Adam and Eve, in this moment, forget the most important thing about their identity. Humanity was already like God, made in their image, you know, that's the big lie, right? I mean, the big lie is you're not enough on your own. The whole world is telling us every day that we're incomplete and broken and lacking. And as soon as we stop seeing ourselves and others the way that God sees us, it seems like that original blessing, that Imago day, you know, it's, it, it starts to break down in our own mind, right? We start to not see things the way that we're supposed to. We don't love each other the way that we're supposed to. We don't see God and everything around us like we're supposed to. Uh, but my favorite part in chapter three is this. Adam and Eve, they eat, the tr- they eat the fruit, their eyes are open, and they immediately become ashamed. But even though Adam and Eve felt shame and recognized their nakedness, God didn't. This backs up the whole not separated thing. Sin is not separation because God was there. God walked into the garden and he, he, he asks, hey, where are you guys? And they respond, we're over here. We're naked. Well, who told you you were naked? You see, God didn't see Adam and Eve differently because of their sin. Adam and Eve saw themselves differently because of their sin. In fact, um, this is so, so important. Um, one of the first things that God does is he makes clothes for them so that they won't feel naked and ashamed. He makes a way for humanity to feel comfort and rest. You know, sin, this is super, super important. Sin never changes the way that God sees us. I grew up not believing that. And I'm changing everything I believe about it. Everything in the last decade of my deconstruction and trying to figure this thing out, I'm just telling you right now, it's true. Sin never changes the way that God sees you. Sin changes the way we see ourselves and the way that we see each other. And God loves you so much. And when we look back at the story, we see from this very first moment to the very end that God is working to restore our sight. He's making a way for us to live the way that we were always meant to. You know, some of us have been through really hard stuff. Um, some of us had made mistakes and hurt others. Some of us have been victims to the mistakes of others. This last week, two weeks, there's been a situation in my life and in my friend's life that I've been having to walk through, and it has been awful. And it's all just because a person decided to make some really horrible choices over a very long period of time and no one knew about it. And it all came out like a ton of bricks. It just hit everybody like a wall. 
And just walking through that, I mean, sin destroys lives. It's real. Sin is real. It's brokenness. And that brokenness can just create more and more brokenness if we don't guard our hearts from it, right? We want to get back to seeing each other and seeing God in the way that he intended us to. And so I know, I know that I, I have made mistakes. I have hurt hurt people. Um, Some of us have struggled with addiction or maybe we're so proud that we can't even say the things that we've done because we're so afraid. And it's okay, you're not alone. And none of that stuff separates you from God. In fact, God sees you where you are. God knows what you're facing and he wants to comfort you with a covering that will help you to remove your shame and bring healing and restoration to your life. And I went through a season where I felt like God, uh, this is actually a really, really uh, personal story, but uh, I went through a season in my life where I did not feel like God uh, was for me at all. In fact, and, and I was a Christian, I was raised a Christian, but obviously the way that I was raised, I was living in a lot of fear and I had a lot of weight in my life. And so when I was a young adult, I had this weird idea of God that like God was sort of out to get me, like like things weren't working out in my life. Um, you know, jobs weren't working out the way that I wanted to, like nothing was really going the way that I needed it to at that point in my life. And it just seemed like every corner, there was another disappointment and another disappointment and another disappointment. And I just couldn't, and I became really cynical and dark. And, um, it was just really not a very healthy part of my life. Um, you know, I kind of saw God as it's sort of like a carrot on a string. Like God's got this carrot on a string and he's just kind of leading you along. You know, like ever feel like that way? And so that, that was kind of how I was feeling. But then I heard a pastor tell me this analogy. And some of you who have been hanging out with me a lot, you've probably heard this one because I tell this one a lot. But he was telling me this story and he said, you know, look, he's like, God's not out to get you. He's like, we think that he is, but here's the deal. He's like, if I go out to the highway at rush hour, There's five lanes of traffic. Everybody's on it. He's like, I could run across that highway. I might make it. I could probably do it twice or maybe even three times and get across. If I keep doing it over and over again, the odds are probably going to get hit. Now, if I get hit or if I get hurt, does it mean that God hates me? Or does it mean that I'm an idiot? (laughs) See, God created the world to work in a certain way, right? The whole thing operates under a certain set of rules. And you can push against those rules and you can try to like kind of, you know, take your chances and do some things. But if you do it enough times, eventually you're going to get hit, right? And at that point in my life, when I heard that story, I don't think that I was ready to realize that, that the problem, the thing that was actually getting in the way of my life, it was me. I was young and I was reckless and I was immature and I was entitled. I needed that story to remind me that God wasn't smiting me or punishing me. I was trying to make my own way. I was trying to go against the way that things were designed. Um, But this helped me to realize God's heart for me. 
Um, there's this great verse in 1 Corinthians that I want to share with you as we close. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and I'm going to be reading in the New Living Translation. It's a really short passage. It's going to start at verse 12. If you think that you are standing strong, be careful not to fall, not to fail. No, fall. Sorry. Make it bigger. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. God helps us to resist temptation. He sees us even in spite of our sin, and he loves us. Now, this is a really, really hard word because when things are done against us, when we experience the consequences of other people's sin, it's really hard to love them back, right? When God commands us to love our enemies, that is not easy. It's hard, you know, they're easy words to say, hard actions to do. But God is calling us to do that. And the reason why is because we would want the same, right? We would want the same. If we continually stay bitter at each other and we build these walls against each other, just like we build walls against God and we stop seeing things the way that God's supposed to see them and we stop seeing each other the way that God sees us, we miss this incredible, beautiful way of doing community. Because here's the thing is there's healing from brokenness. There's, there's, a, there's freedom from sin, I believe that. I've seen it. I've seen it happen in my life and I've seen it happen in so many other people's lives. There's a way out and it's a beautiful, restorative way out. There is not a thing that you have done that will ever keep you away from God's love. Amen? Like that's really good, right? None of us are as bad as the worst thing we've ever done. Amen? Oh man, right? I mean, that's, that's really good. And so if our virtues are what we display on the outside based on what we have on the inside, the only way we can have good virtues on the outside is if we center our life around God's virtues. What are God's virtues again? Loving God and loving others. We resist the temptation to sin, not because we're trying to perform some kind of perfect set of moves so that God will love us. He already loves us. No, we resist temptation to sin because we want our life to reflect God the way we were always meant to. We want to live in the perfect peace of our Father in heaven and allow that peace to reach out further and further into this world, changing everything from the inside out. We pray with me. God, we make this thing so complicated, but God, you are so good and you are faithful and you love us in spite of our complications. God, I thank you that your heart for us has never changed and it never will. I thank you that your way for us has been there from day one and it'll be there on day five million. Like you will always have a way for us. Lord, you have swung doors wide open for us. 
Lord, I pray that we would be a people who would not just have our eyes open to your new reality, but God, that we would be the people who would go around and that we would help wake others up to the reality of who you are. Lord, that your virtues would become our virtues, that, that the changes that would happen inside of us would happen from the inside out so that others would see the changes that happen in us, that others would be compelled to see what is this good news of Jesus thing that everybody's talking about. God, I pray that you would help us to be uh, reflections of your love. Uh, and God, I pray that we would be able to see ourselves and each other the way that you see us, beloved, that you love us so much that you, you continually pour out your blessing to us. God, we love you for that. Thank you. We love you in your name. Amen.